Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew. Today, Pastor Matthew gives a New Year's message from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, with this message entitled, Happy New Year, preached January the 5th, 2014. Enjoy the covenant blessings. That's the title. It is the will of God that we continue to keep God's covenant and enjoy his covenant blessings. As covenant Lord, he has chosen us from eternity past. And in time, he effectually called us and justified us, forgiving all our sins. He has adopted us as his children, and he is changing us from glory to glory. Someone recently said, if you don't change, listen to this, sir. It is the truth. If you don't change, it is because you don't want to change. You love your sins. And I agree with that statement. It is the will of God that we don't conform to this world and its toxic culture. And it is the will of God that we be transformed by the renewal of our mind by God's word. Our covenant Lord gives us stipulations in the Bible instructing us how then we should behave as his servants. As God's holy people we obey our king's laws exactly immediately and delightfully in the power of the Holy Ghost. God's curse comes upon the disobedient and his blessings comes upon the obedient and their children. Acts 2.39 says the promise is for you and your children. May we all enjoy God's blessings in this new year. May this be a year of revival and covenant renewal. May this be the year we hunger and thirst for God's word. There is no revival without God's people returning to the stipulations of the Bible. There is no hunger for the Holy Scripture without God's gracious outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us. When revival comes, we repent of our sins. We do not conceal our sins, but we confess our sins and forsake our sins that we may receive mercy. When revival comes, the permanent principle of Second Chronicles 7.14 shall be fulfilled. If my people called by my name, that is covenant people, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn 
from your wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their lands. So let us consider the revival that Nehemiah clearly describes in his book, chapter 8, 9, and 10. Ezra and Nehemiah are in Jerusalem on October 8, 445 B.C. Ezra is the priest and the great Bible teacher. Most people in those days did not own Bibles. Ezra had one, probably the Torah, that is the Pentateuch, otherwise called the law. On the first day of the seventh month, Tisri, which was also the first day of the first month of the civil calendar, the people of God assembled in Jerusalem before the water gate soon after the repairing of the wall of Jerusalem by Nehemiah and all God's people who joined him. The first day of the seventh month was a festival day, the festival of trumpets. Tenth day was the day of atonement, Yom Kippur. They celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles from the 15th to the 22nd. The seventh month was a month of great joy, a month of festivals. But because of the people's covenant unfaithfulness, God's curse came upon them. As we read in Nehemiah 9, the Jews became slaves to their masters of Persian kingdom. Remember the Jewish people said to Jesus, uh, we have never been slaves of anyone. They were lying. The Levites prayed and acknowledged because of our sins, foreigners rule us and we are in great distress. May God help us to say that. They also said, Nehemiah 9 verse 33, in all that has happened to us, you have been righteous. You have acted faithfully to the covenant. While we did wickedly. No, you are not going to receive a blessing until you humble yourselves and confess your sin against God and against God's people. They acknowledged instead of obeying the stipulations of the covenant Lord, the Lord of all history, secular and sacred, the Lord who chose them in Abraham, delivered them from the severe afflictions in Egypt, protected them and provided for them and guided 
them through the desert for 40 years and brought them to Canaan, the land of milk and honey. Yet they became arrogant, rebellious, stubborn, stiff-necked. They became rebels. And if you are a rebel, count on, he will break your neck. They threw the Lord's law behind their backs. They threw the word of God, they threw the Bible behind their backs as worthless garbage. They killed the Lord's prophets who instructed them. They paid no attention to them. They grieved the Holy Spirit who guided them by committing horrible blasphemies. Isaiah said in Isaiah 63 verse 10 yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit so he turned and became their enemy and he himself fought against them you loser if you are stiff necked and stubborn they broke the covenant and suffered the curses yet the covenant law remained faithful And so we read in Nehemiah 9 verse 17, they refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in, uh, in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God. Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. And verse 19 of Nehemiah 9, because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the desert. Verse 27, so you handed them over to their enemies who oppressed them, but when they were oppressed, they cried out to you from heaven. You heard them, and in your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. Let me tell you, you read the book of Judges, rebellion of covenant people, retribution from God, repentance of God's people, and restoration to blessing. And then they become rebellious. Prosperity always brings about arrogance, stubbornness, Refusal to believe God and God's stipulations. And so Nehemiah 9 verse 31 and 32, but in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them. God remains faithful to his covenant and he will save his people from their sins. And you go home and read Psalm 78 and 105 and 106, the whole cycle of rebellion, retribution, repentance, and restoration idea. God is faithful to his covenant of love. He will show mercy. He will forgive our sins. He will deliver us. He will pour out his spirit once again upon us and revive us and refresh us. 
he will once again save us and our children and their children. Friends, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, certain things will happen. You notice the leaders and people experience unity of heart and mind. When leaders are united, it's because God's Holy Spirit has been poured out upon them. So in Ephesians 4 verse 3, we are told, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Unity is effected by the Holy Spirit. In your family, if there is no unity, it is sure sign the Holy Spirit is not there. Leaders and people experience unity of heart and mind. And where there is unity, there is Holy Spirit. Number two, where there is hunger for the word of God, it is Holy Spirit who created that hunger in your heart. Where there is prayer, there is Holy Spirit who created that hunger in your heart. Where there is understanding of the gospel, it is Holy Spirit who created that understanding in your mind. So we read 1 Corinthians 2 verse 10, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit, revealed the scripture to us by his Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 12, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. We are untouched by the toxic culture of this country. It's immorality, beginning with leaders, politicians, and everybody else. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given to us. And verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 2 says, We and we alone have the mind of Christ to understand and interpret reality. Where there is true repentance and faith, they are spirit-given gifts. Without the Holy Spirit, we do nothing holy and spiritual and pleasing to God. We become stubborn. Arrogant, rebels, wicked, autonomous. I said, he'll break your neck. It will happen, sir. It is coming. Where there is delightful obedience to God's holy commandments, there is Holy Spirit working. Where there is covenant love for God and God's saints, there is Holy Spirit working. Where there is daily systematic Bible study, there is Holy Spirit working. Where there is expository preaching of the word by pious and learned pastors like Ezra, there is revival of the Holy Ghost. Where there are people getting saved from their sins and trust in Jesus Christ who saves them. And live a transformed life, shining as lights in this world. There is Holy Spirit, sir. 
where there is worship in great joy as we do in this church there is holy spirit who produces in us the fruit of the spirit love joy and peace and so on let us examine the steps of revival as we find in these chapters of Nehemiah first friends first love for the word of God you don't get the word of God on your television or on your radio or on the so-called religious books it is found in the Bible so take it open it read it and if you do the Holy Spirit is creating in you a desire to take it and read it and understand it and obey it on the first day of the seventh month in the festival day of trumpets leaders and people gathered before the water gate as one man see the Holy Spirit created unity spirit drew them and they came there were thousands and thousands of people they built a raised platform so all people can look up to see and hear pastor Ezra and his 13 associates Ezra opened the Bible and all the people stood up in holy reverence of the God of the word the Bible is not man's word it is God's word of truth the culture is toxic everybody lies that's why you should look in the Bible because it alone tell truth man lies God is truth and he cannot lie so St. Peter says, listen to the great apostle St. Peter, above all you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. Didn't come from his head. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is true. In Psalm 12, David says, and the words of the Lord are flawless like silver refined in a furnace of clay purified seven times and go home and read Psalm 19 and Psalm 119 Psalm 19 verse 7 the law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul why don't you get up in the middle of the night and start reading the Bible see God is not giving you sleep and the therapy is get up and read the Bible Then Ezra prayed. He opened the Bible and then Ezra prayed. Friends, we must pray before reading the word that Holy Spirit open our minds to give us understanding. And when Ezra prayed, 
people gave a royal reception to God's word. They lifted up their hands and responded, Amen! Amen! So be it! We believe! We truly believe! Then they bowed down. They fell on their knees and worshipped the Lord in great reverence with their faces to the ground. God was with them. God is always with us. He works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. When we see God by faith in God's holy word, we shall not be proud. We shall humble ourselves and be obedient. Isaiah saw the glory of God and he said, Woe to me, I am finished. I am unclean. In Luke 5, St. Peter says when he saw Jesus as God, he said, depart from me, I am a sinful man. The publican said, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And St. Paul said, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Ezra and others read from the Bible loud enough. That's why don't mumble, sir. Speak it loud enough that people will hear it, understand it, respond to it. They also explain the word to them. If you do not understand what we are reading and hearing in the preaching, it does us no good. May God help you this Lord's day to become humble. Satan desires to keep us ignorant of the Bible. There is a great famine in the land, a famine for the bread of the word of God. We have few ministers of the gospel who are pious and learned to preach expository sermons that people may understand and respond. We are told that husbands, wives, and all children who were able to understand came to hear the word family by family, clan by clan. Friends, this is revival. Christianity demands understanding of the gospel. You don't need understanding in paganism. Isaiah 8, 19, and 20, when men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God why consult the dead on behalf of the living to the law and to the testimony? If they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Here we preach the Bible, sir. Isaiah 44, they know nothing, they understand nothing, their eyes are plastered over so that they cannot see and their minds closed so they cannot understand. Idols are demons. 
So there is emphasis, friends, on understanding. Nehemiah 8, verse 2, verse 3, verse 7, verse 8, verse 9, and verse 12. Hebrew word being means to understand. Christianity is a religion of understanding. The revelation God has given us by the Holy Spirit. Matthew 13 verse 19 when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. You ask yourself do you understand anything what I am preaching to you? You ask yourself. Don't look at everybody else. I'm speaking to you. Matthew 13 verse 23 but the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. We need a public reading of the word sir. 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul says to Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. So what we do in this church? How long did they hear the word? Of course, notice all, including children standing, as in Greek and Syrian Orthodox churches, in their service, you cannot sit down, you stand. How long? 30 minutes? <laughs> 30 minutes, sir. I think the service is too long. You have clocked it. 30 minutes. One hour? No, sir. Six hours. Standing. Friends, this is revival. Holy Ghost is moving. People are motivated. They are hungering and thirsting. They are not tired or bored. They are not asleep. <laughs> they are standing. The Hebrew text says, the ears of all the people were to the book of the law. The word made them clean and refreshed. John 15 verse 3, you are already clean because the word I have spoken to you. Have you felt cleaning, cleansing as you read the Bible and as you believed the truth? We felt cleansed in the innermost being, sir. In Nehemiah 8, the book of the law, the Bible is referred to 10 times in that short chapter. We are reminded of the lost book found by Hilkiah, the high priest, in the days of Josiah. In times of apostasy and prosperity, people neglect the Bible. When revival comes, the Bible will be found, read, preached, and understood. Read about the revival brought about by the Bible in the days of Josiah, 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23. Then beginning the second day of the month to the 23rd day of the month, only the heads of the families came to be taught by Pastor Ezra that they may teach systematically their wives, heads, sir, heads, heads, 
Are you head? Are you the father? Are you the husband? You are the head. And they were taught by Ezra for the purpose they may teach their wives and children in daily family worship. When revival comes, family life will blossom and flourish and people begin to think and act biblically, sir. Not philosophically, not with psychology, biblically. So we read in Nehemiah 8, verse 18, day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. Day after day after day after day, sir. 24 days they studied the Bible. And on the 24th day, all people and their leaders came to hear the word of God. They had again a six-hour-long service. Three hours of hearing the word and three hours of repentance and confession. So first is the word of God. Number two, repentance and confession, sir. The word preached brings about change in those who hear and understand the will of God. The Lord of the Covenant. In Nehemiah 9, we see the people experiencing godly sorrow for their sin, which the word exposed. The Holy Spirit convicted them. John 16, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. Where there is conviction of sin, there is Holy Spirit working. Acts 2.37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? You know why you don't want to inquire, what must I do to be saved? The Holy Ghost is not working in you. You are stubborn. Your heart is like stone. There is no work of the Spirit. And 2 Corinthians 7 speaks about godly sorrow. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Godly sorrow, sir. Not only you own your sin, but you forsake your sin. And your life is transformed. He who stole, let him steal no longer, but work with his hands and give to those who have a need. Transform life, sir. They fasted, they wore sackcloth, and they put dust on their heads. They were deeply sorry for their sins and the sins of their fathers. They confessed their sins for three hours, not in a general way, but they confessed their specific sins to forsake them and to receive forgiveness and covenant blessing from a gracious covenant Lord. And so we read in Exodus 34, then the Lord came down and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming self-proclamation as to who God is, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Thank God. Let's praise the Lord, sir. 
Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers in the third and fourth generation. Even on the first day, the word moved them to deep sorrow for their sins. Nehemiah 8, 9. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Are you weeping, sir? All the people wept. There is a time for weeping. There is a time for grief. Where is weeping? In today's Bible-believing churches, there is entertainment and superficial jubilation, but no weeping. No repentance. Joy without first weeping of repentance is a carnal joy. The law exposes our sins that we may weep, confess, and forsake our sins that we may rejoice in the gospel. Number three, covenant renewal. And we read this. Nehemiah 9 verse 38 in view of all this we are making a binding agreement putting it in writing and our leaders and and our Levites and our priests are affixing their seals to it I promise to do these things sign seal may God help us to do this in the new year sir all holy people all those who separated themselves from the surrounding pagan toxic culture made a binding covenant to obey the covenant Lord's decrees. And you read Nehemiah 10, 28 and 29, the rest of the people, priests, Levites, singers, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters. Where are your sons and daughters, sir? Together with their sons and daughters who are able to understand all those now join their brothers and nobles and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, to obey carefully all the commands. That's revival. Isn't that true, sir? They bound themselves with a curse and a no self-maledictory oath. If I don't love God and obey God, let me be destroyed. They bound themselves with the curse. Jesus said, Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey whatsoever things I have commanded you. Obedience is not optional, sir. How come people are in misery and depression? Because they don't obey God. All men, women, and all their children renewed the covenant in God's presence. What a revival. Among other things, they agreed. No relationship with paganism, with toxic culture, separation from pagans. 
It was a huge recurring sin if you study. No syncretism. No sin of King Solomon. We are a holy people. We shall not mix with the toxic culture of pagans around us. Deuteronomy 7 said, So do not intermarry with the pagans. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So in Christianity, if you marry, you should marry entokurio, in the Lord, sir. You cannot marry an unbeliever, a pagan. And don't believe what the man says, he's a Christian, don't believe it. You check it out clearly and see whether he is a Christian or not. And you are a fool if you marry that man who in his heart is a pagan. Number two, among other things, they covenanted to Sabbath keeping. You read the Westminster Shorter Catechism, questions 58 through 62, it will tell you about Sabbath worship. We will worship the Lord. We proclaim his word and help the needy on the Lord's day. Which before the resurrection was Saturday, since the resurrection of Jesus Christ is Sunday. In other words, we don't worship money. We worship the Lord. Number three, we will support God's worship by supporting the temple today by supporting the church. So pay tax, which was half a shekel, but because of poverty, it it appears, the tax rate was reduced to one-third of a shekel from 20-year-old people and up annually. Remember, Jesus paid it two drachma for temple service. And also, we will bring all tithes into the storehouse. Malachi said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this says the Lord Almighty and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. And in this church people do it without any kind of compulsion. Holy Ghost causes you to do so, sir. Holy Ghost. And when the Holy Ghost puts that desire in your heart you will do this. Give and it shall be given. Good measure, pressed down. And what else? Shaken together, running over, shall be meted out into your lap. And then they said, we will not neglect the house of God. And number four, enjoy covenant blessing. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be served, added unto you. It's the truth. You go home and read Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14. Romans 14, 17 says, The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and what's a joy in the Holy Ghost. Do you have joy in the Holy Ghost? Or are you miserable, wretched, complaining, depressed? 
Nehemiah 8, 10, Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. In the Hebrew, your high tower, your fortress, your bulwark, your safety. Joy, joy, joy. Holy Spirit gives you joy in the midst of all suffering and pain. Joy of the Holy Ghost. John 15 verse 11 said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. It is Christ's own joy. He accomplished it. He produced this salvation by his work on the cross and he gives you joy, peace and so on. Don't ever come and tell me Christianity is boring. Christianity is boring for you because you are a rebel. You are a stiff-necked person who never learned to humble yourself. 8.10 of Nehemiah speaks about joy. 8.12 says great joy. 8.17, very great joy. You ask yourself, is this... Let's begin with the first. You have joy, sir. <laughs> and then you move further, great joy. And then you further... Very great joy. Sin and guilt depresses us. Most depression is due to the guilt of sin. Like an iron girder. Guilt rests on your soul and depresses it. Man has no cure for sin. No pagan religion, no politician, no scientist, no philosopher... Not even all the gold of this world can solve the depressing sin problem. The triune God of the scriptures solved it. God's son became man. His name is Jesus for he alone shall save all his people from their sins, guilt, death and hell. Joy that Jesus gives is our security. Sin depressed Cain, who refused to believe in God. God said to him, do what is right, and you will rejoice. He refused. He killed his brother. He lived a depressed life away from God's presence. So everyone who will not believe in Jesus Christ lives a life of loneliness, depression, and misery. Don't go around and pretend I don't believe in Jesus. You live a depressed, miserable, wretched life away from God. This is eternal life that they may know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. He killed his brother. He lived a depressed life. Yes, Jesus solved our sin problem. That's the essence of Christianity. Christ died for our sins and was raised for our justification. What must you do to be saved, sir? Do what is right. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved forever and rejoice forever with joy unspeakable and full of glory. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, this Lord's Day. May this year be a year of enjoying covenant blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.